Alright, and welcome to the Raw is Nitro podcast, the show that rips up the buy rates and TV ratings and declares our own winner in some of pro wrestling's biggest head-to-head battles. I'm your host, Lee Carlos Cunningham, and this is episode 20 and the next installment of our listener request series outlining the January 4, 1999 episodes of Raw and Nitro. A quick lay of the land of the two companies at this point in time shows us that the WWF were fresh off the rock bottom in your house pay-per-view in December and we're heading in towards January's Royal Rumble. Uh, The 1999 Royal Rumble of course with the Vince McMahon and Steve Austin entering at number one and two. The World Heavyweight Champion at the time was The Rock. The Intercontinental Champion was Ken Shamrock. The Tag Team titles were held by Ken Shamrock and The Big Boss Man. The Hardcore title was with The Road Dog, And X-Pac had the European Championship. Over in WCW, Kevin Nash had the World Heavyweight title after dethroning Goldberg at the previous pay-per-view. Billy Kidman was the Cruiserweight Champion. Scott Steiner had the TV title. Bret Hart had the United States Championship. And the Tag Team titles were vacant. WCW, of course, were coming off of their biggest pay-per-view of the year, Starcade, and we're heading into the first pay-per-view of the new year, Sold Out. We are moving up to 1999 in our timeline, as per the request of listener Richie Von Sexington, uh, one of the most interactive of our listeners on Twitter. Um, he put these shows forward for the historic nature, which we'll get into as we get to the shows. And as part of the planning for this show, I decided to catch up with Richie on Skype, have a little bit of a chat about his history and his reasoning for going into these shows. And I thought I'd share that all with you before we get started. All right, we're here with Yvonne Sexington from the Twitter feed, uh, one of the biggest supporters of the show so far, and just going to go through a few quick questions about the shows we've picked for today's episode, um, being the January 4 episodes of Raw and Nitro. So first up, Richie, how's it going? Pretty good, pretty good. Nice to see you. Excellent, you too. Um, first question then, what made you pick these shows? Well, the thing was I was always a big Raw fan, so all I ever saw at, the, at that time, was Raw. The guy used to flick over to WCW. To me, it's a whole different thing that didn't really occur. Until the network, I didn't really even watch it. Uh, but I've always heard about the Fingerprint of Doom, and it's the idea that it's what killed WCW has always fascinated me. So I figured when he was started the podcast that it seemed a perfect choice, especially where your timeline is, to then jump. Uh, it's about five years, four years to 99, to see where they end up. I thought it was quite interesting. So uh, I saw the, the Foley one live, but I mean, the only time you got any information at that point was like dirt sheets or you know Power Slam magazine, if that was about. So I didn't even know the finger poke of doom was a thing until probably 2002 or something. You know, it's just a crazy bit where the internet just didn't give you any information. Uh, Power Slam magazine, now you're taking me back to a blast in the past. <laughs> oh, I love Power Slam magazine. And they absolutely hated some wrestlers, and you just couldn't work out why. I think Jerry, in the last year, like Jericho was their worst wrestler. <laughs> Unbelievable. I, I think I probably got most of them in like the early 2000s, just when you couldn't get enough wrestling over here. So I, I had them for about three years, I think. Awesome, huge magazines as well. Yep. Um, well, you've kind of half answered my next question, but I guess it's still relevant. I was going to say, did you watch them both at the time? You only watched Raw at the time. Did you watch this episode of Nitro much later, or have you only watched it recently? Uh, I watched it for the first time probably about two months ago. And it took me quite a few goes to get through it, because it's 
WCW of the time. I don't want to spoil your review. I don't know where this is going, but it's definitely <laughs> WCW of each time. Is the best description I can give. So you watched this two months ago and still decided that I should watch it. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> but even, even better is I, uh, I shared the experience with my wife who did describe it as the most boring thing she'd ever watched when she'd seen a Twilight film. Oh, Jesus. If I could get mine to watch one episode, I, I would struggle to pick something just to make sure I got to number two. Um, well, in comparison, given that the, the Foley win episode of Raw is, is her favourite episode of Raw. One of mine too, actually. Win at the end. Yeah, oh, incredible. I was watching this back for the show the other day, and um, there's still promos I can recite line for line, and you're going back, oh, how long are we talking now? 15 years or so? Yeah. Longer, maybe. Nearly, yeah, nearly 20 years. Yeah. Um, so, obviously, you were WWF at the time, through and through. Yeah. Uh, definitely. It was uh, probably about 97 I got into it. I think the first pay-per-view I probably watched was uh, In Your House Degeneration X and I didn't have a clue what was happening because I wasn't really a wrestling fan as a kid but I, I knew of it because you couldn't miss it in the early 90s uh, but yeah after that I don't think I missed a Raw for about five years and pay-per-views were free over here so yeah, nice I used to watch them as well yeah I only caught a couple when I've been back on holidays but yeah that was one thing I always envied about back home when I would come over not having to pay the 35 bucks that it cost over here at the time to get the pay-per-views yeah, yeah, it was it was great. Yeah, w, I used to because you used to get the three hour overrun, and we used to get the Friday night wars. I guess over here, I, I used to try and watch WCW, but you'd never get that first hour. And I think at that time, it's when they stopped trying in the first hour. <laughs> or I'd flick over, I'd flick over in the adverts, and it'd just be Hogan or Jim Duggan or Lex Luger or or somebody just stood in the middle of the ring shouting in a mic with Mean Gene. And at the time, it just felt so old fashioned. Come to, I don't know, even if it was like something horrendous on Raw, like Beaver Cleavage. <laughs> I mean, it, it was horrendous, but somehow it, it felt modern, whereas at that time I just used to flick over WCW. I was like, I just, I don't get it. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty much in the same boat as you, so I guess this is going to be a redundant question. Which show have you got the fond memories of? Uh, definitely the Raw. So you watched them both recently. Do, do you think that Raw was the superior show and by much? At that point, I think it was far more entertaining. I think that, uh, I don't know if WWF took on a lot of the WCW back, backroom staff or their mentality because I can. I think if you watch that Nitro and you watch Raw now, there is absolutely little difference between the two. Yeah, I think you've got your opener. You've got your opener. You've got the took the little guys out. You've got stick your main event in, and then just just run. I, I, I think that the three hour nitro just doesn't work. I think that there's only really two main differences I can see, and one that the little guys get purple ropes, and um, yeah. <laughs> two some of the main eventers can still go because they're under fifty. Well, yeah, I mean that that is the big difference. That, uh, the, at least on Roy, he guaranteed a great match. But but honestly, you know, even then, I'd rather watch an old Raw where they used to have DQs and then make me wait for some wrestling sometimes because you can just get to a point where it just feels like it's wrestling for wrestling's sake and wrestling's a balance. 
Yeah, I think it's a big, like, you've got, for everyone's different, but some people are much more for the action and for the characters. I'm probably 60, 40 characters to wrestling. I love a good yep. match, and I know what a good match looks like, but if I don't care about who's in it, I'm not going to go out of my way to watch it. Like, the last two pay-per-views, I've not even turned on. No, I, put, I generally listen to them in the background or, or something like that. It's not something I'm, I'm that invested in. And it's, it's because, you know, every match has got suicide dive. Every match has... Something like that, and it's not that I'm knocking it. It's great that they're more skilled, but in a way, they they it just the quicker matches I think just work better for TV. But I don't have three hours to fill, so yeah. Well, well you, you're going to stick Neville and Jericho out for twenty minutes because you've got to fill twenty minutes. Yeah, and it just becomes wrestling for wrestling's sake. Completely agree. Um, well, last question for you then: um, Who's going to win? Oh. I think it's probably hands down WWF. You think I, I can't see a way, any way that any of, of your uh, categories could be voted for WCW on this one. <laughs> yeah, I was going to ask. Maybe match quality, but I just think even the uh, even though the last match of the night is not a technical classic, I just think that uh, that it's just you couldn't even beat that if you had Benoit. Mysterio, Malenko, and every other one of the Mex. Yeah, the Latino World Order was a thing at that time. So all of those wrestling, I don't think they could beat that last match. That's awesome. I, the energy in it is something to behold. So without giving anything away, that crowd is... I Remembering this show as well as I did going back, the crowd still stunned me. I could not believe the noise in that arena. You wouldn't believe... Uh, the, the Atlanta Dome has 42,000 people in it for that that, raw, that Nitro because the raw crowd sounds like it's probably 42,000 and it's probably not it's probably nearer 12 I mean I don't know the, the amount I don't, I don't, from memory I don't remember it being a massive arena I don't think so I, th- I think you're talking one of your basketball or hockey places for, from watching it the other day I haven't checked the figures but I'd say you're looking between that 12-15,000 mark I mean, they, they, they didn't even do it at somewhere that's like one of their prestigious... I mean, it's not they didn't even do it at the Garden. They just no. did it. It's like... And I'm putting on a tape delay, which is even more impressive. Yeah. Yeah, it was amazing. Um, so, perfect. I think we've got <laughs> WWF hands down all the way so far here. Have you got anything you want to share with the, with the listeners or anything you want to say to everyone? Well, I just want to make sure uh, everyone keeps listening to your podcast. I think it's great. Thank you very much. I always appreciate the kind words and the support. I'm saying anything I can do to help uh, spread the word, let me know. I wouldn't mind coming back on at some point. Love to have you on. Yeah, absolutely. We can find a a Skype time that that suits between the two of us. Um, And you've got another show that you want to get in, or if you want to get in and and join me on one of them, feel free and we'll hook it up. Yep, will do. All right, perfect. Thanks a lot. Cheers.
All right, and as you may have guessed from the music there, we're heading over to Monday Night Raw first. There was no coin flip. This was my decision because this is an episode of Raw I have fond memories of. If I had to pick my all-time two or three favorite episodes of Raw, this one would have been in there going into the show. So let's see how it held up. This episode of Raw begins with a recap of Vince McMahon firing Shawn Michaels and Shawn Michaels nailing him with a super kick in the center of the ring, voiced over by Kevin Kelly in what's a pretty decent opening package. Um, and we get a good recap of Shawn Michaels' career before Vince McMahon cuts it off with the microphone in hand coming out to the stage, telling us to get that sentimental crap off his titantron. Uh, he comes out with the corporation as well and immediate flashbacks. Um, this just makes me think high school wrestling obsession and a whole bunch of wrestling figures when you see out come the boss man, Ken Shamrock, uh, the rock in his in his tracksuit and whatnot. Just takes me back to a good place. So straight away, I got a big smile. Oh, and classic Kane as well. Oh, I could reminisce about this all night, but that's not what you've come here for, I don't think. They're also out with the Stooges who appear to be trying to put a sign on Kane's back. Vince McMahon tells us all not to hold our breath for Shawn Michaels turning up and that anyone involved with his son Shane being hurt two weeks ago will be punished. Um, so basically the Stooges and Shawn were left in charge of Shane and he did get hit by uh, Mankind, I believe. I've not gone back and rewatched that episode, so if I'm wrong, feel free to tweet me. Um, but pretty quickly into Vince's promo, Sean does turn up on the, on the Titantron backstage and then he comes out um, and cuts a promo that 15 years later, is it? I nearly could recite word for word, so I can't do it any justice. Let's see if you guys remember this one. Well, what a way to kick off Raw King, Mr. McMahon and the corporation heading to the ring. Good. Wait, Let wait, that be hey, a warning. Wait a minute. For King, that, that's a live shot right in the arena. What? HBK is here. Shawn Michaels is here. I want you to kick his butt. I want you to dismember it. If shot, break his bones, Kim. It's Shamrock. It's him. It's Shawn Michaels. He found last night to show up, and he is here tonight. Man, obviously the sheriff is back in town, and that he is. And this time, Vinny, I brought the cavalry with me. Cavalry? Break it down! Oh no! It, it's DX! What? <laughs> DX! DX with Shawn Michaels! This evening, sometime within the next two hours, the Heartbreak Kid is gonna leave this building and go out and get you a surprise. What? Late Christmas present. You don't and Vince, I guarantee you that this surprise is gonna drive you stone cold crazy. I can't believe it! This is bad, Michael! 
and yeah, that's just one of those moments I remember vividly from watching wrestling in uh, 1999, as it were, at this time. And yeah, pretty much knew that promo off by heart, so it was pretty cool going back and re-watching this, and it did hold up as well. Also to note in this segment, the facials of Vince McMahon were class. Um, I, people have written about them in their in their books, especially Mick Foley, and you could definitely see what they're talking about in this segment. When Sean announced that him and Austin were going to be one and two in the Rumble, his face was amazing. One face that wasn't amazing, however, was when we cut between the scenes and we go to the commentary table where we have Jerry the King Lawler and Michael Cole. Michael Cole's 1999 goatee. Seriously, go back and check it out. You're missing out if you don't. We then go into our first match of the evening, which is Ken Shamrock up against Steve Blackman. Um, and the storyline for uh, Ken Shamrock at this time is that he won't give Billy Gunn a title shot. And because we're in the first hour of Raw, Michael Cole words that by saying, Ken Shamrock won't give B.A. Billy Gunn a title shot. I thought it was just the, the video games and the action figures where they change badass to B.A., but apparently not. Ken Shamrock goes on the offense pretty early in this match. It's a nice back elbow before Steve Blackman fires back with a really shoddy spinning heel kick, but a decent drop kick afterwards. Then he hits a body slam and an elbow drop before Ken fights back and hits a really nice snap power slam for a two count. And at this point early on in the match, we see Dan the Beast Severin wander out to ringside. Um, we see a good belly-to-belly -belly suplex by Shamrock, followed by a knee lift, before Steve Blackman gets a small package and a two-count, with Shamrock somewhat distracted by Severin at ringside. Ken Shamrock fires off a really big clothesline, before Steve Blackman gets on the offensive again with a corner Irish whip, a drop kick to the back, and a backbreaker. Uh, Ken Shamrock nails another belly-to-belly -belly suplex, and then he, Severin gets up on the apron, causing the distraction, allowing Billy Gunn to run down the ramp, hit Shamrock with the Famouser, and give Steve Blackman the 1-2-3 for the win. We've got an irate Ken Shamrock in the ring, and we spot the first really notable sign of the night, with a young girl all of about 14 holding up a sign that says, I fought Ken Shamrock, and all I got was this black eye. We didn't pan in close enough to see if she did have a black eye, but it would have been even funnier if she did. We go to a commercial break and we come back for our 10-10-220 WWF Rewind of the Week, which is pretty much just a recap of the match we saw before the commercial break, so nothing to note there. And then we go backstage and see Billy Gunn and Ken Shamrock brawling, with the officials having to come in and pull them apart. Next off the ranks, we have Mankind coming out to a humongous pop. I was even a little bit taken aback coming back and seeing how over he was at this point. I knew it was popular, but this was a monster pop. Uh, he comes out and he shows some footage of him destroying Shane McMahon and the Stooges. And he says that the week before, uh, or two weeks previously, sorry, was a first. It was the first time he grabbed a man's testicles and in a manly way, he kind of enjoyed it. This, of course, refers to him putting on the Jocko Claw on uh, Patterson and Briscoe in the ring. He then says there was another first, and it was the first time he uttered the phrase suck it without the word please coming in front, and this gets a huge laugh from the crowd, so much so that he has to stop his promo and acknowledge the laughter. So uh, I guess this is where he maybe had the seeds planted for his stand-up career. He says that he's got a new hobby, and that's kicking McMahon asses, before saying that he's got a favour to ask, and he wants a title shot at the Royal Rumble. Um, there's so many Foley signs in the crowd here as well. He is hugely over, um, and he does mention the, the Foley is God ones, saying that they need to put in the extra O for Foley is good. Another seed planted for a book coming up. He then tells Vince McMahon to get your can I say ass on TV out here? And Vince does come out with no music to huge boos. Um, awesome heel Vince was at this point in time. Um, and he calls mankind a disillusioned, decrepit, disfigured monster. So very illiterate there, Vince. 
And then he um, says that Mick Foley has had his chances for the title and he blew them, which is something you can't disagree with. He tells Vince he's pathetic and that he doesn't deserve a title shot. And he says maybe one day if he works hard, he might be able to climb the, the championship ladder back towards getting a shot at the hardcore title. Nice little uh, line there from Vince that got a smile out of me. He tells Mankind that he will never get another shot at the title, but does say that he will do one thing for him. He'll give him a chance to enter himself in the Royal Rumble if he can defeat Triple H tonight with Shane as the special guest referee. Of course, making sure to say Shane as my son Shane and ending his promo with have a nice day. Good promo from Vince. We um, go to a commercial break, but on the way out to the commercial, we see uh, footage of China chatting backstage to Sammy. If you don't know who Sammy is, you're in for a bit of a treat. We come back from commercial, and it's time for Mark Henry taking on Gold Dust. And yes, Mark Henry is smack bang in the middle of his sexual chocolate run here. Um, Gold Dust gets a pretty good pop, actually. Again, another one that surprised me. I don't remember him being quite this over as late as 1999. And in his entrance, he licks the ring rope, which is, sends a little bit of a dirty shiver down my spine. Jerry Lawler gives us a line that is straight out of the video game WWF attitude. He says, Gold Dust is sick and twisted. I usually like that in a person, but not Gold Dust. If you've played that game, that will ring a bell for you. I guarantee it. It was the number one quoted thing I can remember from that game. Mark Henry looks super young here as well. Really young. Uh, he goes on power offense early on as well with some good knees and punches before Goldust fires back with some leg kicks, so that was another strange bit. Um, Mark comes back with an eye rake, and Goldust hits a nice spine buster for two on the big end. Mark Henry fires off a power slam, followed by a regular slam and an elbow, and then he puts him up for a press slam. Uh, and as he's coming down, we see the crowd all putting up the, the DX uh, symbols above their head. And sure enough, China's on her way out with Sammy. Sammy, for those of you not in the know, is a trans uh, transvestite, yes. Um, a man dressed up in women's clothing. Uh, sorry for stuttering on that one. The distraction does allow Gold Dust to hit uh, a bit of an edgematic type move from the apron to Mark Henry before putting him in the corner and setting him up for the Shattered Dreams, which sure enough earns him a disqualification. But despite that, his music plays and he celebrates. China gets in the ring and tells Mark Henry that he's too much man for just one woman so she wants to share him with Sammy and this causes Mark to faint in the middle of the ring. He obviously doesn't know that Sammy has uh, got a penis just yet. We see a shot um, somewhere in a dungeon of sorts of Dennis Knight tied up and crying uh, begging for mercy before coming back for our next match which is the Godfather up against Test. The Godfather cuts his pre-match promo, you know, lighter fatty for this pimp daddy, jump aboard the hoe train, and he is way over with the crowd. Um, and Test comes out to some weird harmonica type music. Um, sounds like it should be a Jeff Jarrett remix, but it is what it is. They brawl early on before the Godfather hits a nice clothesline and a slam, followed by a leg drop for a two count. And Val Venus comes out pretty early into this one. Apparently he had a bit of an angle going with Tess the week before where they brawled. Uh, he's also sort of semi-aligned with the Godfather at this point in time as well. Um, they go outside for a brawl and they end up in a double countout before Val comes uh, further down the ramp and he begins brawling with Tess while the Godfather watches. Um, bit of a pull apart there and the Godfather's awkwardly just sort of trying to walk to the back but not getting the camera shot of the other two brawling now. We have DX just chatting backstage before going to the Glover Slam of the Week. Glover was a Nintendo 64 game to help date this one for you some more. And it's basically Mick Foley beating up Shane McMahon. 
We then come to our next match, and it is time for Mick Foley up against Triple H. Shane McMahon is a special guest referee, with the winner gaining access to the 1999 Royal Rumble. Triple H actually gets a really good pop here coming out as well, and I have to admit, at this point in time, I really did like uh, the face version of Triple H before his first big heel turn after DX split. Um, Jerry Lawler says that Mankind has the future of an ice cube in the WWF, which was a good line, and Shane smirks uh, at Mick before the match starts, then puts his serious face back on, just basically letting him know I'm here to fuck with you, Mick. Foley starts the match on offense, goes onto the arm of Triple H nice and early, and Michael Cole just shouts every sentence in soundbite. He is really tough to swallow at this point in time. I was dying for JR to come back in 99 when this was ongoing. Right as I write the note about Michael Cole shouting every sentence, Jerry Lawler literally says, be quiet, Michael Cole, and uh, I immediately feel vindicated, so that helped me. Foley stays on the offense. He hits a nice Irish whip to the corner, followed by a running bulldog, which gets a good pop from the crowd before Triple H fires back with a back elbow and a clothesline. Foley sends Triple H to the outside and actually hits a baseball slide, which is pretty cool. And Triple H comes back in over the ropes with a sunset flip. Mick goes to hold onto the ropes and Shane kicks his arm off the ropes and hits a ridiculously fast three count to screw Mick Foley out of a chance at the Rumble. Uh, All's not over though, no one leaves the ring and there's a bit of pre-match shenanigans to go on here. Mankind who twice before in the past two months. Look at Triple H now over the top rope. Yeah, that's good. Good move. Triple H. Oh, oh wait a minute. It's over. Yes. That was a quick count. <laughs> what? That was a quick count. You lose, Mankind. The big man's have once again screwed Mankind. Well, if anyone deserves it, if anyone deserves to lose, it's him. Mankind. Mankind is not eligible for the Rumble. That was a quick count, King. That's, you saw it. Ah, uh, that'll teach Sorry, but business is business. That's right. And when it comes to the WWF title, I'll take it any way I can get it. You got it. Well, Triple and, H. But I will say one thing. Happy New Year. <laughs> Wait a minute. What? Triple H. He's got Shane. No way. He's all yours. No! Help! Help! I'll break this over. This is Mr. McMahon's here in his own shit screen. Let him up, you son of a bitch. Vince, I've changed my mind. You see, I no longer desire a title shot at the Royal Rumble. Let him up, damn it! Ah, Please, let him up! I want a title shot tonight. What'd you say? Okay? Yes. Uh, yes. Let me think it over. Let him go. Not good enough, Dad. Uh, let him go. I want a stipulation. What do you say, Shane? Uh, let it go. Damn it. Let him go. No DQ. What do you say, Dad? Uh, all right, no DQ. What'd you no say, DQ. no DQ? You got it. I guess we've got ourselves a little deal. Let it go! It's gonna be Mankind versus The Rock, no DQ! Mankind, you Shane McMahon! 
We go to a commercial after that awesome segment and we come back and it is time for a very young Edge taking on an equally young D'Lo Brown. Um, D'Lo Brown comes out to his classic You Better Recognize theme. Um, Edge, of course, as you think you know me, um, coming through the crowd. Um, D'Lo, of course, also at this time has a chest protector on, which is another cool thing. Um, I'm probably just blubbering over all the details that I, I remember from, from sort of my teenage years here, but it is pretty cool stuff to go back and watch. It's easy to see why this is the most reminisced after era. Um, we get a recap of PMS being told by D'Lo Brown to stay away from Mark Henry. And then we start the match off with a nice drop kick by Edge, um, followed by blocking an arm drag from D'Lo into a Hurricane Rana with the old SmackDown game where you put your foot over their head and flip around over them before doing the move. We go to a high spot pretty early as well as D'Lo goes to the outside and Edge comes over the top rope with a nice dive, gets back in the ring and does a really awkward sort of stretch your arms out like you're celebrating a goal and scream for the crowd support. And he wasn't really that over as a babyface here in early 99. On the outside of the ring, D'Lo Brown sends Edge into the rail before getting him back in and hitting a leg drop and going into that awesome D'Lo Brown running powerbomb. Uh, sadly, yes, it is the one that we never saw again because it paralyzed draws, but when he did it, it was a pretty impressive spot. Unfortunately, he showboats on the second rope rather than going for the pin, and when he comes back down, he's only able to get a two count. He then slams Edge before missing a second rope elbow, and Edge hits a nice-looking leg lariat before coming off the top rope with a crossbody, and out come PMS, and I immediately put my head in my hands and cringe because I know exactly what's going to happen here. It is one of the worst angles I can remember from the Attitude Era. Um, one of the most offensive things they've done, and that says something, and um, I can't do it justice. You should probably go and listen to Jim Cornette talking about it. You'll find it on YouTube. But essentially what happens is PMS come out, um, Terry gets up on the ropes, Delo goes to chase her off, and she falls off the ring steps. And the angle was she was pregnant, and this fall off the ring steps causes her to have a miscarriage. So they really ham it up. She does a stretcher job. Um, they're go she's crying. She's in agony about the fact that her baby could be hurt. And Delo's just got, he's got to stand there with the stunned look of, oh, fuck, what have I done? It is really horrendous. Poor acting. Everybody in the segment came off worse than they went in. So Terry, Jacqueline, Delo Brown, Michael Cole. Um, they all come out of this worse off than what they were. And we've got the um, the awkward WWF medical guy. I think it was like the masseuse or, or something um, playing the role of doctor, basically putting a stethoscope to Terry's belly and saying, I can't hear anything. Like she's not got a baby in there, um, which she doesn't, but <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, it's not the way a doctor should be telling an expecting mother that her baby may no longer be there. Um, just uncomfortable and awkward all around. But on top of that, it fucking sucked. So for what was one of my favorite shows, this was certainly the low point. As a matter of fact, this point of the show, even though it's not a match for the first time ever, a segment is going to go into the Hammerlock Hall of Fame here. And this one's going to get 10 out of 10 Hammerlocks. Yes, that's right. It is Bobby Eaton at the Bunkhouse Stampede kind of bad. It is horrendous. Um, it dragged. It went over two segments with a commercial break. And it made everyone feel dumb of having watched it. So on what was one of my favorite ever episodes of Raw is possibly the worst segment of the podcast so far. Go figure, that's the Attitude Era, guys. But we get a bit of a lighter note next as Kane comes down to the ring with Patterson and Briscoe. They're again putting a sign on his back. This time it's written in a black permanent marker, unlike the, the 
plain blue pen they tried earlier, which the camera could not get a shot off with the lights. And on the sign is written Briscoe Brothers Body Shop, which cracks me up. They're tape, they've taped it to Kane's back. Um, it was really funny. It's it, probably because I remember it as well, but it's still pretty funny today. Um, Shane then comes out um, and announces that it will be Kane in a handicap match up against Patterson and Briscoe, who are not happy about this. Shane tells them they were also responsible for him getting hurt, so they've got to pay. They immediately try and beg off to Kane. Um, Shane tells him this is payback. Um, and Gerald Briscoe starts offering Kane money. Doesn't work. He grabs a hold of him and puts him to the ground. Pat Patterson offers him a cigarette, which doesn't work, and then offers him a condom, which is hilarious, but also doesn't work. Um, Briscoe hits Kane, which just pisses him off, and he nails Briscoe before a clothesline on um, Briscoe and Patterson comes from behind with a chair but before he can swing it Shane on the microphone warns Kane it's coming so as Kane turns around Pat unfolds it and puts it down saying he wants Kane to sit and Kane puts his foot through it and fucking punts the thing out of the ring and then choke slams the shit out of Patterson he gets Briscoe and drags him balls first into the ring post before elbowing down under the leg of Pat and then turning around and grabbing Shane by the throat. You might be wondering why he's grabbing Shane. A quick history lesson, and I didn't need to look this one up because I remember quite clearly. There was a storyline where basically Vince had gotten Kane bailed out of the insane asylum. And for a while they would have people, you know, the guys in the white coats following him and threatening to send him back. And the idea was he was now Vince's enforcer. And if he turned against Vince or Shane, he would be sent straight back to the mental asylum. And Vince does threaten that on the microphone saying he will send him back where he came from. And Vince then announces Kane as the winner of the match. Shane was a really smarmy dick in this segment as well. Um, just reminds me he's a much better heel uh, than Stephanie ever could be, in my opinion. Stephanie definitely has the X-Park heat, but Shane was actually really good at winding people up. He was awesome. And this is, of course, encapsulated by when he walks back up the ramp after the match, him and Vince just having a nice little hug on the ramp, which pissed everybody off. Um, we then see another shot of Dennis Knight still crying before Bradshaw and Farouk come in and tell him it's time, he's ready for you, and drag him out before the camera cuts away. We then go to our next match, which is Al Snow up against the Road Dog for the Road Dog's hardcore title. Al Snow comes out first, he's covered in blood and so he's head from a bloodbath the week before from the brood. He puts head on the stage and then he hides underneath the curtain part of the Titan Tron. The road dog comes out and his classic road dog introduction is interrupted because he spots head on the ramp, which is a bit disappointing. And Al Snow leaps out from behind the curtain and attacks him. This match is your typical um, late 90s WWF hardcore brawl before it went 24-7 and a bit lame. So whilst it's just walking around and hitting each other with weapons, it was still in its infancy and pretty entertaining. The road dog throws a chair at a leaping Al Snow, and Al Snow does like the Sabu type, run off the chair and jump with a leg lariat to road dog, who knocks him over the guardrail, uh, and then a chair to road dog, but he goes on the guardrail for a moonsault, uh, with road dog lay on a table, who moves, and Al Snow moonsaults through the table within about a minute and a half, two minutes of this match starting. Road Dog smashes a cookie sheet over Al Snow's head three times for a two count before they brawl up the side of the ramp, which was interesting, and Road Dog hip tosses Al Snow through another table. Um, he hits an axe handle off the steps that go up to the stage before they brawl into the backstage area and Al Snow begins to choke Road Dog with a garden hose. Um, the Road Dog then sells for a box of toilet paper, um, and that's not a... a mistake in my writing, Al Snow actually hits the road dog with a big box of toilet paper, 
And then Snow hits Road Dog with a pop plant as well. Um, and does the avatar spins with a metal pole backstage, the, the martial arts sort of kendo stick stuff. It was pretty funny. Um, Road Dog then throws Al Snow into some clearly empty beer kegs, which Michael Cole tells us must weigh at least 90 pounds. Um, bullshit, Michael. Um, Road Dog goes to spray a fire hydrant at Al Snow, but it's broken, so he just wallops him with it instead. And they head up outside through the door into the snow. Uh, Road Dog hits Al Snow with a snow shovel. Um, that was pretty funny. Before throwing him into a door um, from inside of a wheelbarrow. So just running him in the wheelbarrow and tipping him into a garage door. Road Dog then hits a pile driver and picks Al Snow up for... Um, sorry, hits a pile driver on a crate. And that puts him on the ground in the snow for a three count. Road Dog retains his hardcore title in a pretty good brawl. He then goes back inside and runs all the way down to the ring to celebrate and gets a really big pop. Road Dog was definitely over at this point. We then go back to, again, the Acolytes with Dennis Knight taking him into a door to meet whoever it was that wanted to see him, but we don't find out who that is just yet. And then another segment that I remember quite vividly, um, even the words that were said, Sean sort of going out to get the surprise that he talked about earlier in the night. DX watch him go out the door and triple... Sean, who says, I'll see you around, Triple H says, after he's gone, of course, maybe. And X-Pac says, what goes around comes around. Um, so a little bit of foreshadowing of what we're about to see. Sean goes to get into a car before realizing he's got the wrong key, goes back to the door, which can only be open from the inside, begins banging on it, yelling out for Hunter to let him back in before a voice from behind says, hey, Sean, and it is the big boss man. Um, we only briefly see a couple of the corporation members come into this side of the camera before the camera's on the floor and we don't see anything else. We come back from a commercial break though and Shawn Michaels is bloodied and battered, lay on the windshield of the car and there's a big hole in the windshield supposedly where his face has gone through it. The idea behind all this of course being that because Shawn had been with the corporation and screwing with DX for so long, they didn't really have his back and they were happy to throw him to the wolves because of all the shit he's put on them in recent times including costing them title matches and other things. But that now brings us to our main event of the evening, and it is going to be Mankind getting his title shot, no count out, no disqualification, up against The Rock, who comes out to my favourite version of his theme song, starting with, Do you smell what The Rock is cooking? And he's also got that big circular attitude title belt on his shoulders, um, coming out with the corporation, so some real good nostalgia here. Uh, the Rock goes on offense early um, before Foley slams a Rock into the announce table and Rock is, uh, sends Foley into the steel stairs. Jerry Lawler says that this match won't end with a bunch of wrestlers coming into the ring and a schmoz. There will be a winner and a loser, to which Michael Cole says, not like that other league. Um, I didn't really remember them taking shots at the competition back here, but obviously they were. Um, stairs to Mick Foley to the back times two by The Rock and he suplexes him on the floor as well before picking up the headset and doing some classic rock shtick going on to commentary saying he's going to check him into the Smackdown Hotel uh, before Foley comes across and nails Rock with the bell and picks it up for a quick bit of commentary of his own. Uh, we go straight into the big spots early though with the Rock hitting the Rock bottom through the announce table to Mick Foley. They get back in the ring and Rock hits his uh, classic punches before Cole saying, I've never seen anything like this, King. The title is on the line. No disqualification. Just talking in sound bites, like you can't address your announce partner, then immediately begin talking in, screaming in sound bites. I know JR, 
the knock on him was always the sound bites, but he managed to make it sound believable, like that's what he was saying, and Cole just didn't have this knack just yet. Anyway, digressing off the commentary, The Rock hits a nice leg sweep for a two count before Foley fires back with a clothesline, and The Rock hits a slam and goes for the corporate elbow for the two count. The crowd are really popping here. They're well up for this. Uh, Mick Foley comes back with a neck breaker before the big boss man trips him and throws the belt in, and The Rock nails Mankind with the belt. Only gets a two count, and then Mankind fires back, and it's a double arm DDT, which was supposed to be on the belt, but it did sort of pop out the way. This gets him a two count. Before he pulls out Mr. Socko to a huge pop. Shamrock nails him with a chair, though, and then there's a massive brawl between DX and the corporation who were at ringside for The Rock and Mick Foley. Um... We then have Stone Cold's music hit and the crowd go absolutely ballistic. He comes out to legitimately one of the biggest pops I've ever heard in my life. He comes down the ramp, picks up a steel chair, gets in the ring, nails the rock with the chair, drags Mick Foley onto the rock and the referee counts one, two, three for an absolutely enormous pop that might be even bigger than the one Austin just got a minute ago. Um, Vince is livid, but Foley celebrates like a maniac in a truly feel-good moment in wrestling. The crowd are just going nuts. The sustained noise is something to hear. Um, DX pops Mick Foley up on his, on his shoulders. The crowd's still going nuts, and the road dog actually gets a microphone and announces Foley as a new champion before Mick Foley cuts a little promo to celebrate the occasion. I'd like to dedicate... This match, my two little people at home, and say, Mikario did it! This is the blackest day in the history of the WWF! My God, anything can happen in the WWF! Mikario's a champion! Mick Foley said he was gonna walk out on top, and damn it, he did! And for once, Michael Cole doesn't actually piss me off as he does act genuinely um, happy and excited for the Mick Foley title win, which was a really good feel-good moment. Uh, Mick Foley describes this in his first book as Vince McMahon giving him a Lifetime Achievement Award, um, knowing he wasn't going to have a long run with the title, but recognizing his commitment to the business and the company and giving him the reward that he really did deserve at this point in time. And to be honest, the crowd were massively into it. Foley was at firmly number two in the babyface stakes here, with the rock heel um, but he was a he was massively over and he definitely deserved the title um, even if it was only for a reasonably short run or a short few runs here so that concludes one of my all-time favorite episodes of raw it did hold hold up pretty well um, the stuff that i remember i still enjoyed watching some of the stuff uh, the matches especially were, were not a lot of them I just flat out didn't remember. They were pretty forgettable and pretty short, to be honest, a few of them. Um, and there was that one horrendous angle. So whilst this still firmly remains one of my favorite episodes of Raw, it probably wasn't so far and away amazing that Nitro doesn't have a shot. So if WCW offers up something good here, they could definitely still be in with a shout. But there's only one way to find out. So let's go and have a look.
So Nitro begins with a video package of the Goldberg-Kevin Nash match from Starcade. before we're told that there are 40,000 plus in the Georgia Dome, which is pretty impressive, and the Nitro girls dance in the ring to get us started. Commentary team for Nitro is Tony Schiavone, Mike Tanay, and Larry Zabisco, and we're told this is the first Nitro of the Ric Flair regime. He has just become president of WCW in the storylines. We're also told that Hulk Hogan is here to talk about his recently announced retirement on the Jay Leno show because he is going to run for president. Um, we see signs galore, as it was the, the, the way in the era here, and we find out that some lucky viewer has won a Nitro party in an executive suite, and we go up, and there's about 25 guys and maybe one girl in there just losing their shit like morons, and you're talking sort of 30, 40-year-old people um, just acting like the worst kind of fucking marks you've ever seen. Um, go back and watch it. Seriously, there was not an intelligent word uttered in this whole segment, um, but it still would have liked their suite, so fair fucks to them. Um, we're actually then told we have 42,000 fans in the Georgia Dome, which is still pretty awesome for an episode of Nitro, so well done. First match, however, doesn't really scream of the importance of the night here, as we see Glacier up against Hugh Morris. Glacier does have a cool introduction, um, but it's about five years late for this kind of character working. Um, and for those of you that haven't seen him, he's pretty much a Mortal Kombat knockoff. Um, think Sub-Zero in the later games when he's out of the, the sort of the plain gear and into a bit of a flashier modern attire. Hugh Morris comes out with Jimmy Hart, but sadly not a jam donut in sight, um, before starting the match off with a couple of arm drags, before Glacier comes back with a midsection kick and some strikes. Glacier, I put here, looks like the love child of Ludwig Borger and Alex Wright, so quite the combination there, some, some good European heritage from Glacier. Hugh hits a nice power slam. Uh, before I notice, uh, one of the, the cool things about WCW that I always liked and would have stolen for the Fed at the time was the ring mat with the big WCW Nitro logo in the middle. The video games, the SmackDown ones, would have the, the ring mats for WWF, but outside of WrestleMania 12, I can't remember them ever doing it. And it's one of the things I think WCW always had over them. Uh, Glacier comes with a really cool looking leg sweep um, before grabbing Jimmy Hart, but this allows Hugh Morris to come up behind, but Glacier spots him, gets out the way, and Morris nails Jimmy Hart, before then hitting a huge clothesline on Glacier, and going up top for the No Laughing Matter, which if you don't know, is a moonsault off the top rope, but with the smaller WCW ring and Hugh Morris's athleticism, he is able to go halfway across the ring with the moonsault, and it looks really bloody cool. Um, I thought this was an awesome finish, it gets him the three count, and not too bad of an opener. I was a bit surprised by how, how good this was. Commentary team then tell us that Hulk Hogan is here to give it, uh, give his announcement about running for president before going into a recap of the Eric Bischoff-Rick Flair angle. Um, Flair's tearing up $100 bills in this recap, which was funny, um, and he's offering everything, all the money, his house, his cars, for Eric Bischoff to have a match with him. Bischoff accepts. Um, Flair says that he's uh, poisoned him here. I'm a little bit confused. I don't know what was going on there. Before Bischoff tries to leave and Mongo, Benoit and Dean Malenko carry him back to the ring. This match is basically for control of WCW, of course, with that's what Flair was putting everything up against. Um, Macho Man comes out in the recap and helps out uh, Flair and the Horseman, which was weird. DDP's out there and the Horseman, of course, surrounding the ring to stop the NWO interference. Flair puts on the figure four, which causes Bischoff to tap out, but then gets up and pins him as well, which was a little bit weird. 
and we finally go to our Nitro intro video uh, for the night, which was a bit of a weird timing. I don't know if maybe the glacier Hugh Morris match was supposed to have been a dark match, but there was a lot of recaps and talk from the commentators, so I wouldn't think so. Just strange placements. If anyone knows why that happened as well, of course, get in touch. Um, we have Arn Anderson and Flair with his family walking into the arena before they come onto the ramp with the four horsemen to a pretty good pop. Malenko is on crutches and we're told he had an ankle injury at a house show. And we see our sign, first notable sign, which says, want better ratings, dial 1010 for horsemen. Um, all the um, the advertising on, on wrestling at this time was 1-800-COLLECT, 1010-220, all that kind of crap. So this was a pretty good sign. Uh, Tony Schiavone says that Ric Flair is a 13-time world champion and a very successful businessman, where he's only lying about half of the things he says. Uh, Gene says, I'm not working you. Ric Flair, you're the new boss. Um, I hate this insider crap. Just let it go, Gene. Um, Ric Flair says it's a proud moment because WCW is the greatest federation on earth, but for five years they've been run by a tyrant, and now he's calling out Eric Bischoff. Bischoff with a bit of a sad, slow walk out to the ring, and one of Flair's kids has a wicked bowl cut. Uh, I noticed in the background, it's really cool. Reminds me of when my mum used to cut my hair as a 10-year-old. So if you're listening, mum, thanks for nothing, eh? Flair tells Eric that he's been humbled many times, um, but he doesn't fire him. He says, you're now going to work for Tony Schiavone at the announce booth. Uh, Flair then brings up Eric Bischoff firing the referee, Randy Anderson, and we see some tape of that. Bischoff fired him, and then he brought him back with his family and fired him again, um, despite Randy Anderson suffering from cancer. So it was pretty cold. Flair calls Anderson out um, and says that he'd like to apologize on behalf of Bischoff and hire him back at two times his salary. Um, Flair then thanks DDP, Booker T, Tony Schiavone, and Randy Savage for making everything possible before booking himself in a handicap match at the next pay-per-view against Mr. Perfect and Barry Windham. Uh, at sold out, that is, David Flair then steps up and says that he wants to be Rick's partner. Rick Flair rightfully tells him he's not ready. Uh, anyone who's seen David Flair wrestle will agree with that. Before Arn the bastard steps up and says, no, he is ready. So you've, we've got you to blame now, Arn. Um, Flair agrees, and it's going to be David and Rick Flair up against Barry Windham and Mr. Perfect at sold out. We then go to our second match of the evening, and it's another one not really befitting the stage that it's on. Booker T up against Henry Hill. Um, Henry attacks early. I don't know who he is, sorry, so I can't give you any background. Before Booker T fights back, hits a spine buster, misses an elbow drop, but pops up with the spinner Rooney to a huge pop before hitting his really high leg lariat and a missile drop kick for the three count in a really a good showcase, but a squash match, definitely. He looks into the camera and says he's not stopping until he's the number one contender, soccer. So Booker on, on the up here. We get the Nitro girls again before Tony Schiavone very um, smugly tells us that they're watching the only live Monday night pro wrestling show. So good on you, Tony. Norman Smiley up against Chavo Guerrero Jr. with his wooden horse Pepe is the next match for us. And we start with a good series of reversals. Chavo hitting a clothesline and a drop kick before picking up Pepe and riding him to a bit of a pop. Um, Norman Smiley sort of hangs him on the ropes and Eric Bischoff at the commentary table is refusing to speak to anyone. Larry Zabisco and, and Tony Schiavone are all over him, riding him. Uh, Bischoff got Mike Tanay's spot as well, so poor Mike, I don't know what he did to um, get the boot. It's certainly no better, Ric Flair. You're pushing people out the door now. Um, Norman Smiley hits a slam and a front slam for a two count before putting on a really ugly looking leg lock. 
before Charbo rolls him up for a two count. And Norman Smiley with a bit of a weird front drop kick and the big wiggle type dance. Charbo then hits a missile drop kick and it's botch central as um, Norman Smiley falls off of his own wiggle before Charbo then wiggles and pins for a two count. Um, and Charbo falls through the ropes attempting, I think, a springboard back elbow. And then he comes back in with a horrible roll up for a two count. It's a really awkward sequence to a dead crowd. Uh, Charbo ends up getting a sunset flip for a three count and Norman attacks him after the match hitting a delayed vertical suplex and the wiggle slam and then breaking Pepe so pretty shit match pretty shit ending pretty shit aftermath and the crowd died a death here we do then have Chris Benoit up next though so my hopes go up a little bit before coming down a little bit when we see his opponent is Horace Hogan Chris Benoit um, has got a wicked mullet still on the go here as well. And he opens the match up with some nice chops. Um, Horace Hogan is sort of... Uh, trying, I'm trying to think the best way to describe him. You're probably just going to have to look him up. He's a big bald guy in a singlet with, with a Hogan-type goatee but no hair. So he's an interesting-looking character. And he does get back on the offense on Benoit early as well with a big beal before Benoit gets a hold of him and hits two German suplexes before dropping on the on the sorry um dropping Horace Hogan on the ropes um and Horace hits a suplex out of the ring from the apron and then Horace Hogan with a suicide dive that nearly kills Benoit so that was pretty cool um not the killing Benoit although I guess some would say he deserves it uh and a short clothesline and elbow drop for a two count Horace Hogan comes with a backbreaker before Benoit hits a superplex and a flying headbutt, but he sells it like he's hurt himself more, allowing Horace Hogan to hit a shoulder breaker for a two. But then when he goes for a slam, Benoit reverses it into crossface and gets a tap out victory. And we have another scan of the crowd for signs. And the best one coming up here is Jericho is my daddy. So a lot going on already on this Nitro. I should mention as well that it was a three-hour show, so there is a fair bit of action crammed in here. Uh, we then see backstage a bunch of cops, about six or seven of them, arresting Goldberg, and it's a really awkward scene. They don't say what he's being charged with or read him his rights or anything like that. Um, he basically tells them they can't take him, not with all the guns and the weapons and the mace. And it just It's really unnatural and goes back and forward too many times. In the end, some called cop called Jack that Goldberg appears to know cuts him off um, and cuffs him without telling him why, and they take him off. Um, as he's marched out to the cop car, they walk past Hogan walking in laughing, and then Nash comes out to protest the cops taking him, but his two ladies in the car and ready to go. And Hogan's laughing, and he tells Nash that he's a politician, and he believes in people doing the time if they're guilty. Um, as we cut back into Hogan and Nash having their altercation, we see over in the background, Miss Elizabeth is talking to what appears to be two detectives with their notepads. We then come back for our next match, which is Saturn up against Chris Jericho with Ralphus, and the Jericho signs are everywhere. He's monster over. Um, you can see why WWF were keen to grab him. He was one of the most popular acts here without being used in any sort of meaningful capacity. Saturn starts a match with a slap, um, and we also see another interesting sign as I'm scanning through the crowd that says DDP is an old skank. So a little bit bit of a harsh one there. Saturn hits a nice clothesline before Jericho comes back with a shoulder block. Then Saturn hits a really cool overhead belly-to-belly -belly suplex before hitting head kicks in the corner and a judo-style suplex to Jericho. 
Jericho fires back with a springboard dropkick to Saturn, who's on the apron, um, and knees him off the apron before suplexing him on the floor as we go into a commercial break. When we come back, Saturn's got a sleeper, uh, but Jericho gets back up on the offense and hits a nice delayed vertical suplex and the classic Jericho cocky pin for a two count. Saturn hits another overhead belly-to-belly suplex and a head and arm suplex for a two count, an inverted atomic drop, and then he springboards off the ropes, but Jericho grabs the referee and pulls him in front, low blows Saturn and hits the lion salt as the referee waves the match off for a disqualification. Um, but the announcer tells us that it's actually Saturn that's been disqualified and Jericho gets a win, so I'm a little bit confused by that, but we may find out why later on in the show. Stay tuned. When we come back from the commercial break, Goldberg is at the police station. He has no rights read to him. He is not fingerprinted, and this is nothing at all like when I got arrested. Hey, Mark. We do eventually find out why he's there, though. It's for aggravated stalking, and it's Elizabeth that files the charges. They call her Elizabeth Lebetsky. Goldberg says he doesn't know who it is, and they have to say, Goldberg, it's Miss Elizabeth, um, and he's a little bit shocked by this. We then come away from the very serious Goldberg arrested for stalking angle to have an advert for the Nitro Girls 15-month calendar. Um, Pretty interesting segue going from a a man being charged with stalking a woman to, hey, look at some other hot women on our show. We go back up to the contest winners in the skybox who are acting like complete mongs. And then we get told that our cameras are going to show us the police interview with Liz live ongoing. I'm pretty sure this would cause some harm to the case if it went to trial. So uh, it's a bit of a head scratcher, but it is what it is. Um, they ask Liz about the stalking, and she says that he, she always sees him at work, she always sees him at the hotel, and at the gym, um, and this is some pretty terrible police work who don't jump on any of this whatsoever, you know, the fact that they would both work for the same company, be on the road, staying at hotels, and both being involved in the wrestling business need to work out, um, and I label this as the worst police interview since Brandon Dassey, um, One day he's going to get to go to WrestleMania, I'm certain of it. There's a money-made angle there, but I digress. Uh, The police work and Liz, uh, some really bad acting here, and it's a little bit out of the realm of of believability. And speaking of the realm of believability, we then go to a bit of a vignette with the LWO, the Latino World Order. Eddie Guerrero firing up his members. Um, They're surrounded by girls and low-rider cars. Um, Eddie Guerrero's bossing everyone around while they seem annoyed. Um, it's a little bit lame, but it's not too bad. It's a bit of a um, training day knockoff. Um, if you think of um, Denzel's character bossing everyone around in the hood, um, it's kind of like a cartoony version of that. We come back to our next match, which has got some real potential. It's Billy Kidman and Rey Mysterio up against Psychosis and Hoovertude Guerrero. And we now all... Guerrero, Guerrero, I apologize. And we now also have Bobby the Brain Heenan back on commentary. Um, and Bobby Heenan says, has Ernest Miller the cat been out? No. Then who's got Eric Bischoff's tongue? Um, classic Heenan wit coming here. Shivani tells us that it's not a tornado. Sorry, tells us that it is a tornado, but it's not actually a tornado because they just wrestle like a regular tag match. So that was a little bit confusing there. I'm guessing the script got changed or was out a little bit late. And we see Psychosis and Billy Kidman start with some good reversals before Psychosis hits a good front suplex and tags a very reluctant looking Hoover Toot who doesn't want to get in. 
Uh, Billy Kidman nails two drop kicks on Hoovy, followed by an atomic drop. And then Ray gets in, but he comes in off the top rope, flying into a Rana on Hoovy, and throws Hoovy into Billy Kidman's BK bomb. Before we see Ray Ray Rana Hoovy over the top rope, and Hoovy springboards back into a drop kick. Psychosis hits a wicked leg drop over the ropes to the floor that really looked like it hurt his hip. I wouldn't be taking that bump. Um, before Ray comes back with a double team, and Hoovy hits a nice looking over the sort of top of the shoulder backbreaker on Ray. They're the kind of moves you can always hit on Ray because of how light he is. It looked pretty cool. Psychosis comes off the top, but Ray nails him with a drop kick, gets a hot tag to Billy Kidman. Um, he comes in with a weird sort of flipping in head scissors, but then hits a nice looking headlock and head scissor takedown on both the heels. And then Ray Ray and Kidman come with stereo dives off the top turnbuckles to the outside. We then get a really cool looking move. It's a, a doomsday device, but rather than come off the top rope, Ray comes off with a springboard off the top rope, which is pretty cool. Only gets a two though, because Hoover 2 breaks up the pin before hitting the Hoovy driver. But then Billy Kidman comes in and breaks up the pin on that one. Billy Kidman goes up top and attempts a missile drop kick on Hoovertude, uh, but he gets out of the way and he nails Rey Mysterio, who Psychosis pins for the three count, picking up the victory. Pretty decent match overall. Um, the standard of guys involved that probably could have done with getting some more time, and in this venue, I think a classic match certainly should have been on the cards, but it was very enjoyable for what it was. We go back to some more footage of the police station where Goldberg says that they work at the same arena, as I said before. The company puts them up at the hotel they stay at, so they have to be at the same hotel. And he owns the gym that she goes to. They probably should have looked into that before arresting him, you would think. Kevin Nash comes out back in the arena and says that Goldberg got screwed at Starcade and says that Hulk Hogan's behind these charges by Liz, which are phony. He asks Flair if he can have Hulk Hogan tonight and he'll beat him and then if Goldberg gets back, he'll take him on afterwards. Flair comes out and says Hogan's definitely pulling the strings here and Nash can have the match, which gets a big pop out of the Georgia Dome crowd. Uh, we have a video then of Kevin Nash and Goldberg again, like some of the, the blow by blow in a nice video package from Starcade, before going back to Liz, who just recaps all the same stuff she says before. We go back to the arena and Mean Gene Oakland comes out uh, to bring out Triple H, uh, sorry, Triple H, Hulk Hogan, the double H on my page threw me there for a sec, to huge booze. Um, and he says that he was gonna announce his retirement and his running mate for the election. But with all this going on around here, Ric Flair's put him in, in a match because he is still under contract, so he owes the fans one last retirement match, which does get a bit of a pop there. We then go to my favourite ad of the time, the WCW MasterCard ad. The irony behind this really cracks me up, so I love watching it. And there was quite a few of them as well. You could pretty much get any of the top names on your MasterCard, so you wouldn't have looked pathetic pulling that one out to pay for dinner. Trust me, you should definitely get one if you can. We then get a little bit of a, a pre-recorded in the backstage thing from earlier in the night where it was Jericho talking to the referee and apparently this referee had been hit by Saturn a few times in the past and Jericho basically egged him on to saying if he touches you, you should DQ him, you're an excellent referee and that sort of explains why Jericho got the victory earlier in the evening. We then get our next match, which is a title match. Scott Steiner out with Buff Bagwell defending his TV title up against Conan. Scott Steiner cuts a psychotic Rick Rude style promo uh, talking about how all the men in the crowd are out of shape and all the women love him, but done in a, 
in a fashion that only Scott Steiner can do. It says that WCW can't censor him and that uh, he gets cut off a little bit, sorry there, by Buff Bagwell who starts dancing but then feigns that he's going to have another heart attack and tells us that he's just got out of his triple bypass. Uh, Scott Steiner calls out K-Dog and they, they surround him when he gets out and they attack. Conan gets a shot in on Buff Bagwell, but then Steiner gets a hold of him and the match starts. Um, Conan gets back on the offense with a 10 punch spot and the clothesline. And then as they're on the outside having a bit of a mini brawl, we get one of the most famous uh, commentary moments in wrestling history. Hollywood Hogan walks away and you look at this 40,000 plus on hand. If you're even thinking about changing the channel, our competition fans do not because we understand that Mick Foley who wrestled here one time as, as Cactus Jack is going to win their world title oh, going to put some butts in the seat good job fans I want to reiterate something that I talked about before the commercial break if you're thinking about changing channels to our competition we want to let you know that unlike us they've got their show in the can their show's been taped later tonight mick foley who once wrestled here as cactus jack is going to win their world title i mean that's going to be their world champion So there you have it, and as you can probably guess, Tony Schiavone earns this week's Dick Move of the Week. Bobby Heenan, of course, on commentary, completely avoids joining in on this conversation, and then we get back to the ring as Buff Bagwell and Scott Steiner have some heat on Conan on the outside, um, just taking turns beating him over, distracting the referee. Scott Steiner back in the ring hits a nice clothesline, and his arm pose into an elbow drop, which I always liked on the games, before hitting a belly-to-belly -belly suplex. Conan then fires back, though, with a pretty ugly-looking DDT, and the worst-looking X-Factor I've ever seen um, I'm pretty sure the Tough Enough girls could have pulled it off better than that. Uh, Buff comes in the ring and makes a save, though, for the DQ ending uh, before Scott Steiner just fucks the referee over the top rope, really nails him. And then the NWO referee comes out and Steiner puts on the recliner and the ref claims that Conan is giving up, therefore Steiner's the winner. And Scott Steiner then goes and gets a chair and beats down Conan with it. We get a bit of a strange winding road ad for the next pay-per-view then, um, just a bit of a weird one. Um, and then we have our next match, which is Wrath, some of you may know as Adam Bomb previously, up against Bam Bam Bigelow in a proper new generation WWF type match. Um, Eric Bischoff pipes up for the first time on commentary when Goldberg's name is brought up, calling him Jailbait. And then Wrath cuts a promo in the ring, which is a bit weird. It's actually an open challenge, um, which is why Bam Bam comes out. Wrath um, gets on the offense early and hits some punches. And then no sells two shoulder blocks before Wrath hits two big clotheslines on the Bama. Um, he flies over the top rope going for a third and then they go to the outside for a brawl. They get back in and bam bam with a single leg takedown and a headbutt near the groin area before they go back outside for more brawling. They come back inside and bam bam has a chair um, but doesn't last and they go back on the outside for another long brawl which is, is really making the match pretty hard to watch here. 
Wrath hits a backdrop back on the inside as the referee gets rid of the chair. Um, what amazes me is that with Shivani having just given away the Mankind Rock ending, this is what they decided to follow up with next. Um, is it any wonder so many thousand changed the channel? You've just told us that there's going to be a world title change between a highly popular babyface and a newly heel rock, and you follow that up with Raph up against Bam Bam Bigelow. Um, really head-scratching, but it's not hard to see why they went out of business in retrospect, is it? Um, anyway, back to the match. We have a double count out, I think. Uh, they just brawled to the back. So that was pretty shit. We then finally go back to the cops who have woken up to what's going on with Liz and they call BS on her and threaten her with perjury charges um, before she begs off. And she's just an awful actor, so this pretty much sucked. We get more dancing from the Nitro girls and the cops telling Goldberg that he's to be let out. Um, he says, take me to the dome and they rush him to the car to get him back to the arena. Next matchup is Brian Adams with Virgil, or Vincent as he was known in WCW, up against DDP, and the network ruined this for me by playing a shit generic theme song for DDP when we should have been hearing this. Self-high-five. Curse of the Network ruining the music strikes again, um, and it really cuts into the crowd's pop as well, which makes it hard to gauge just how every he was. But he does go in and out of the crowd. He's being known as the People's Champion here, and I didn't see a lot of DDP in this time period, so I'm very interested to go back and watch his stuff and see how over he got at this point in time. DDP starts a match off with some shoulder blocks, but the former crush no-sells them, and then hits a drop toe hold, um, and we have a... Big slap from Brian Adams on DDP, who returns the favour with a slap of his own and some punches. And um, Brian Adams ends up on the outside of the ring, and DDP goes to jump over the top with a plancher, but Adams keeps walking away. DDP grabs the ropes to do it about five times before finally getting him and Vincent with it, nailing them both. Um, Brian Adams comes back with some strikes, and Vincent attacks on the outside before going to an ad break. We come back, and Brian Adams has got a chin lock on DDP, uh, but DDP gets out and hits a clothesline. Um, he goes over the top, Brian Adams ducks underneath, but he just comes back and hits him in the back with the second one, which was pretty cool. DDP hits a nice swinging neck breaker before Brian Adams hits a low blow and a very awful pile driver. There's been some botches on both shows on this night. Um, and then he puts on a bear hug and a tilt-a-whirl backbreaker before Paige hits a leaping DDT and a spinning lariat. Uh, Brian Adams hits an inverted atomic drop, but DDP goes up to the ropes and comes off with a bit of a rough-looking diamond cutter, but he got enough of it for a three count. They're really selling at this point in time that DDP can hit the diamond cutter from anywhere, and he does do a pretty good job of finding some inventive ways to nail it, this being one of them. 
Goldberg has been released and he's on his way back to the dome we see before Michael Buffer comes out to introduce our main event talks up Hulk Hogan running for president during his introduction and the highlight of Nash's introduction saying he's maybe a resident of Detroit Michigan but his championships and accomplishments make him a citizen of the world I'm pretty sure no matter where you're from you're a citizen of the world so it's not that much of a selling point you probably should have done a little bit more research for Nash's intro we get what the crowd are pretty excited for in a, in a title match here, which is Hulk Hogan up against Kevin Nash, the champion. Hogan comes out with Scott Steiner, and Hogan looks to be in really good shape here. He's got a tight black t-shirt, and his arms are massive. Um, looks a lot bigger than the end of his WWF run, so obviously the steroid policy was a little bit more lax in WCW. Um, he's not quite as big as Steiner, but he's not far off, actually. Um, Kevin Nash comes out and his introduction gets a huge pop when he stops on the ramp and brings out Scott Hall now in a Wolfpack shirt um, and follows him down to the ring really over Nash was here. Shivani tells us that we will stay on the air and follow all the action which is a pretty interesting quote considering what's about to come and Nash shoves Hulk Hogan in the ring before we go straight to one of the most infamous moments in wrestling history the finger poke of doom. Over 40,000 plus. This is better than a playoff game. Now this is what pro wrestling, what world championship wrestling is all about. Very tentative look on Hogan's face, but Nash ready to go at it. Taking their time with each other. Nash trying to get him to Hook up at least by shoving the man in the corner. Let's see if that gets a reaction from Hollywood here. Well, he's been in so many big matches. Well, he has. What's that about? WCW World Heavyweight Champion. What stinks? Hollywood. Hogan. Oh my God! It is unbelievable. The new World Heavyweight Champion, Hollywood Hulk Hogan, the man, the myth. This then leads to Goldberg finally arriving back in the arena, coming out, taking out Scott Steiner, Kevin Nash, and Scott Hall. Before Hogan sneaks up behind him and hits him with two of the weakest belt shots I've ever seen. Um, Goldberg turns around and hits Hogan with a spear and Lex Luger comes in supposedly to help Goldberg but he turns heel on Goldberg attacking him and putting him up in the torture rack. Buff Bagwell comes out with a taser and hands it to Scott Hall who shocks him again a la Starcade and a la the Mountie. Um, they cuff him and then they spray paint him um, while he's out cold. Um, they spray paint all over his head and everything. They really go to town on him here. He seems legitimately pissed off because he's selling the shock as being out cold and eventually sort of fights back to piss off the spray paint. But they shock him again and he has to sell. Um, Scott Steiner looks in the camera, yells NWO for life, and that will end Nitro. So that's the two shows, two of the most historic shows in the Monday Night War. Let's go to the ratings and see just how these two stacked up against each other.
Alrighty, so we start off with production value, um, and here we're going to go with a tie this week. There was not really anything to separate the two. They both were products of their time with the production. They, they looked like the time period they were in, and this was the hottest time period for wrestling. Neither company really botched anything, so there wasn't a strong leaning either way, if I was being honest, so a bit of a tie there. Um, Storylines are up next, and we do have to go with the WWF. Um, the main events really are what make the difference here. The storyline in the main event in the WWF is a crowd pleaser. It's an all-time historic moment. The storyline in WCW is well considered by many to be one of the nails in the coffin of WCW. So for that reason alone, it goes there. Um, the really the blotch on the WWF's record for storylines on this night, or two of them, I should say, Sammy and Terry's uh, miscarriage angle. Um, but there's some other good storytelling going on with DX and the corporation and some sort of wrap them up as you go storylines as well. The um, Triple H and Mankind thing and the Kane and Shane thing ongoing with the, with the Stooges. So WWF take this one here. Characters, we're going to go with a tie. Um, WCW didn't have Sting or Bret Hart on this show and only... Randy Savage was only on it via recaps. WWF held off Austin other than a very brief sort of one or two minute spot at the end of the night with no promo or match for him. Um, but they still both had star quality coming out the backside. Um, on an episode where we've seen Mankind, The Rock, Hulk Hogan, Goldberg, Kevin Nash, Scott Hall, DX, NWO, like everyone, all the big stars of the era are here. Shawn Michaels, um, there's not much to pick there, so we're going to go with a tie and take the easy way out again. Uh, we then come to crowds, uh, crowd participation and noise and heat. And this is the interesting one because the Georgia Dome Nitro has more than twice the number of people Raw had. Um, and I have to say, I think Raw's crowd was far hotter and during the main event, they went nuts. So half the crowd, twice the noise. Um, Got to go with Raw here. Um, definitely thought the crowd was better there. Um, that leads us to match quality. And WCW's only real chance of bringing back this one. And unfortunately, they can't do it because the main event on Raw tops anything else for me. Um, WCW had that nice Billy Kidman and Ray Ray versus Hoovertude and Psychosis match. But it's a mid-card short match. Um, Foley and The Rock was by far the best match on both shows. And again, it's a historic moment you can't look past. So definitely going to give WWF the win for this one. Um, the viewership on the night agreed with me as well, with Raw overall striking a 5.8 to Nitro's 5.0, which are both huge figures. But importantly, and again, something that was detailed in Mick Foley's first book, Have a Nice Day, when Tony Schiavone played his dick move of the week, hundreds of thousands of viewers immediately switched to Raw. So Nitro possibly could have won this ratings battle on the night, but shot themselves in the foot by telling everyone there was something much better than what was on their show on the competition and knocking it as well, doing it in a smarmy manner. So I was really glad that went the way it did because it, it kind of showed that that kind of bullshit tactics can backfire on you if you try it. I am, however, thankful for life events not forcing me to 
spew quite the vitriol I normally would at this kind of shit for WCW. Obviously fresh off a very enjoyable game of football in the Champions League this morning and a great concert last night as well for anyone that keeps up on Twitter. Uh, my mood's certainly in a good place today, so hopefully the recording wasn't too mild-mannered for you um, and hope you enjoyed the show anyway. As always, you can catch us on Twitter and Facebook. I do encourage if you're listening and you've not joined in with us on Twitter and Facebook yet to do so, we are a very interactive little group um, and I love hearing from people that listen to the show in whatever capacity. We've had good feedback and we've had some um, pretty good constructive criticism over the, the episodes as well, which I always do really love to hear. So any comments, even if it's just to say hello, please feel free to get in touch. You can catch us on 4CR as well, so check those guys out and all their other great podcasts, including an, a long-time favourite of mine, the New Blood Rising podcast. Um, and of course, you know, get on Twitter and see some of the, the podcasts we interact with regularly. Um, the guys at Then Now, whatever, a good favourite of mine, the Raw Attitude podcast, another one. Um, whole host of really good shows there. So if you're listening to this and you've not checked any of those guys out, I do encourage you to do so. Um, that'll do it for us for today. Um, we're going to be looking to get back into some 95 Nitro and Raw shortly before going to the big pay-per-views coming up there, World War Three and the Survivor Series. So that's probably going to be the next couple of shows before I travel back to the UK and look to record some bonus content over there with a good friend of mine. So some good stuff coming up. Um, thank you all for listening and I will talk to you all again soon.